Welcome to the sermon podcast for Restoration Nazarene Church, where we encourage you to be the gospel today so that you can share the gospel tomorrow. Well, happy first day of spring. I think today is the first day of spring, so happy spring. It's getting hot outside which is what spring means. Amy and I were having a, a lovely debate, is what I'm going to call it, over what is the best season. Is it spring or fall? And I vote for fall because it means that it's getting colder. She votes for spring because it gets hotter, and some people are like that, which also means we are four weeks away from Easter. Who are you planning to invite to our Easter service? That's my question. Over the last few weeks, we have been going through spiritual habits. Um, and we've, we've had two goals in mind through these. The, the first goal is to prepare ourselves um, through this season of Lent for Easter, to prepare ourselves spiritually to give us words and actions and things to do as we follow the life of Jesus, where he carries his cross through this season of Lent, where we often talk about how we must deny our selfish desires to love God and love others as we walk our way to the cross. And, and the second goal is that we are continuing what we started at the very beginning of the year. And I know not all of you were with us at the beginning of the year, but, but our, our, our topic for the beginning of the year was the meaning of life. What is, what is the meaning of life and where do we go from here? And we, we talked about how all of that is to reflect God's love back to God and to all of creation in the way to, to be restored, transformed, and loved. And as we are restored into the image of Christ, these spiritual practices or habits or means of grace help us become transformed, help us become more like Christ. And over the past few weeks, we talked about prayer. We talked about worship, community, fasting. Last week was about rest, which is so difficult. And, and boy, did we get rest this week. Amy spent 35 hours in the hospital, and so we had the opportunity to, to find rest, although it wasn't more restful. Maybe it was more a time of waiting and a chance to practice our patience and having trust in God and medical doctors that I don't have much faith in anymore. But, but we had that opportunity to quote-unquote, take a break from our normal routines and spend 35 hours in the, in the hospital. And all of this helps us mirror the life of Christ. All of this helps us mirror God's love back to God and back to all of creation. It helps us become more like Christ. And, and there's a story in Matthew's gospel of a man that comes to Jesus and asks how he can inherit eternal life. This is Matthew chapter 19. And, and the man is, he's really asking um, how he can earn his reward for heaven. And Jesus's answer, I'm looking, there it is, um, verse 16. Jesus's answer helps us better understand how we are to become more like Jesus. This is the, the, the story, Matthew 19, starting in verse 16. Just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Jesus replied, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. 
Which ones, he inquired. Jesus replied, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said, all of these I have kept, what do I still lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go, sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. I want to point out a couple of things with this story that can often be so difficult for us. First, the man asks Jesus, what is good? And if you remember from last week with the story of Mary and Martha, it's not always about the things that are good, but rather about the things that are great. That this man is searching for what good thing he can do, but Jesus responds with the great that has to be done to get there. And, and, and second, that the man asked the questions about what is, what is good, and Jesus' response is that he says, only God is good. And if you want to enter heaven, then you must keep the commandments. And remember, we talked about this, there are 613 laws. And we walked through how Jesus sometimes picks and chooses which ones to be what he would call most important. And these are also the ones that all have to do with our love for one another. He doesn't say to keep the commandments of loving God with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, the Shema, as it would be stated in Deuteronomy. But instead, he outlines the specific Ten Commandments and a few extras that all have to do with our relationship to other people. In other words, he's saying if we want to inherit the kingdom, you must love your neighbor as yourself. But then what I find interesting is, is the man claims that he has done all of these things, yet he still lacks something. It was verse 20, the young man says, all of these I have kept. I have kept all of these commandments that you state. What do I still lack? The man recognizes that he still is missing something. And he says, Jesus, what is it that I am missing? And then we find out later in the story that this man is rich. And I can't help but picture a businessman trying to strike up a deal, like name your price. What is it that I must do? How much do I need to write this check for? What do I need to do to get this? Because there's still something missing. I followed all the commandments. God has obviously blessed me with all this money, but what do I need to do? Name your price, Jesus. He isn't satisfied. He has all the money that he needs. He is following all of the commandments, but he still isn't satisfied. So then the question comes is, does money buy happiness? And some people say, yes, money does buy happiness. Other people respond and say, money doesn't buy happiness. But then the, the, the typical rebuttal of money doesn't buy happiness is that those that make money 
or that have a lot of money are the ones that tell you that money doesn't buy happiness. It's just like all of the beautiful people that say looks aren't everything. And you say, you, you say that because you have looks. And we look at somebody that has money and they say money's not everything. And we say that's because you have money while we are scraping at the bottom of the barrel, trying to make our way, trying to eat and find food, trying to find a place to live in this crazy culture and economy that we are in where it's nearly impossible. And so we say, Hey, are you sure that money doesn't buy us happiness? But, but then I, I have to ask the question, how much money is enough? Like if, if I were to have some way to give you a bunch of money, one lump sum, how much money would be enough? Shout it out. One million. Did you say a billion? You go high. I like it. One million, that's what I used to think too. But, but think about this, one million dollars. In today's economy, you buy a house for 500,000, right? So there's half of our money gone. And let's pretend there's no taxes with any of this and you get the full one million. So you buy a house for 500,000, you have half a million left. Now what do you do? Well, now you probably want a car, you know, something that's reliable, so now you buy a car. Now those with kids, you probably want your kids to go to college. And so there goes a couple hundred thousand dollars on, on a good education for the kids. And now you're left with a couple hundred thousand dollars. One million dollars really isn't enough. But then you say, well, well then how about 10 million? If I had 10 million, then I would be satisfied because I would have more money. I'd be able to get my house, get my car, get my kids education, and now I'd have a couple million left over. But really, if you had 10 million, then you would just buy a nicer house. You would buy nicer cars. You would send your kids to Ivy League schools and you would still be left with hardly any money left. And I can see some of you thinking, no, that's not me. If I had all this money, I would be disciplined. But, but I want you to evaluate your life for a moment. I want you to, to think of your annual salary in your minds. Think of, think of how much you make. It could be together with your spouse, could be you individually. Think about how much money you make. Now I want you to think about a time where you did not make as much. Go back 10 years go back five, 20, whatever, go back to a time where you didn't make enough. And when you were in that time back then and you were getting just the, the bare minimum of what you needed to get by, you were buying ramen noodle, shopping at the dollar store. That was me when I had my bachelor pad. I was doing my groceries at the dollar store, living off of ramen noodle and bagels with um, peanut butter and jelly. That was my lunch because that's all I could afford. And I remember telling myself, like, once I can make more money, then I will be able to have all this extra money. Well, then my annual salary doubled. And what happened is I just started spending more money. I started living better. I started going out to eat more because I could. I started not shopping at the dollar store for groceries anymore. I went to Fry's or another grocery store to buy better, more healthy groceries. Then I started to get into different things and you start to add on. So let me ask you again, as you have made more money over time, let's not talk about cost of living, inflation and all of that, but as you make more money over time, don't you naturally begin to spend more money? You are not disciplined enough and that's just the human condition. It's the tendency that the habit of everybody is when we make more money, 
we spend more money. We increase our living expenses. And then when we get unexpected money, an inheritance, tax refunds, bonuses, we usually say, well, this is just extra money that I don't need anyway, so I'm going to spend it on things that I don't normally get to spend it on. I'm going to treat myself. You just get this lump sum, and then you spend it, and now it's all gone. And I bring this up because money is one of those things that, that you will always want more. Sure, it's possible for people to be out there with more money that they know what to do with it and they don't need any more money and they're trying to figure out ways to do it. And yes, there are people out there with lots of money that do really good things with all of their money. And I'm not saying that money is bad. My point is that the average person will usually crave more money and never actually be satisfied. There's always more to be made. There's always more to do, especially in our society of the American dream of work as hard as you can to earn as much as you can to get that American dream, which I know shifts and changes with every new culture. But, but we begin to this, this pursuit of money, which we also correlate with success, and we begin to pursue money and success instead of happiness. Because we assume with more money comes more happiness. We begin to place our love for money over God. And that's what we see in this passage. This man was rich. It says that he had many possessions, but yet he still was not satisfied. Money did not buy this man happiness. He still wanted more. And so Jesus tells him exactly what he needs to do. Jesus says, you must do two things. First, sell all of your possessions and give it to the poor. And then second, come and follow me. And, and I love the response in verse 22. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth conversation over. He, he heard what needed to be done, but he decided he couldn't meet those requirements. The cost for him was too high and he was sad. He was sad because he had so much money. He was sad because he had a great wealth. This man, and we don't know anything about this man. We don't know how far he traveled. We don't know anything about him other than that he was rich and he thinks that he follows the commandments and he approaches Jesus and says, what must I do to find this happiness? Because you keep preaching about this kingdom of God that makes everybody happy. I look at your disciples, everybody that follows you and you have this peace, this calm, this happiness about you. I want that. Name your price, Jesus. What do I need to do? Jesus says, well, sell everything. And he says, can't do that. And he walks away sad because the cost was too high. And I think money often becomes our security as well. If you have, think about it, if you have a nice emergency savings and financial coach, pre-financial planner here telling you you should all have an emergency savings, right? If you have a nice emergency savings, meaning that no matter what emergency comes up, you've got a, got a nice little stockpile that you can cover that without stress, without going into debt, then I would imagine that you probably are feeling a little less stressed than normal because you can handle it. 
No matter what emergency or unexpected thing comes your way, you're, you're covered. But if you don't have an emergency savings, then whenever some type of an emergency happens, you're always more stressed because now you're like, how in the world am I going to pay for this? How am I going to cover this? How am I going to pay off all of this debt that I now have from this? And it's just a matter of if you have a savings account or not, that automatically determines how much stress you have when emergencies come. And you know what I'm talking about which means that we tie our security to money. We place our trust and our security in money more than we do in God. And I'm going to be completely honest. This was me a little over a year ago. We had started restoration. We're, we're going almost on two years now. We had started restoration. And whenever you start something, there's always risk involved. And there's usually different types of risk. Risk of, of failure. There's risk of financial loss. Risk of, of stepping out into something that's not comfortable, where, where you might lose friends, make people angry. And so we knew that there was a lot of risk involved. But I kept telling myself that as we start this church, I am going to continue working full time so that the church doesn't have to worry about paying a salary, right? That just makes financial sense. Financial planner here, I was saying, yeah, that's, that makes perfect sense. You start a business or anything. And yes, I know I'm comparing a church to a business for a moment, but forgive me. Um, but as you start thinking about that, that, that's what was going on in my mind. And I began telling myself, I will continue working as long as I can so that the church can be successful. But I think what happened is, I, I was really convincing myself of, of a bit of a lie that money became, became my security, that having this steady stream of income became my security, my, my fallback plan. If restoration failed, I'm okay financially because I've got a full-time job. We have health benefits for Amy and the girls. And I think I was convincing myself that I was doing something good by holding on to this job, but, but really I wasn't putting all of my faith and trust in God. I was putting it more in money, in the steady stream of income that we had coming in. And then God began to convict me. He began to speak to me and say, you need to quit. And I said, no, God, there's absolutely no way. Restoration cannot afford a salary for me. There's no way. We, I mean, Amy works, but... We can't do much on just one income that she makes. So how are you going to do this, God? There's absolutely no way. Again, the financial mode was coming out of, of I'm, I'm crunching the numbers, God. You don't understand how math works, apparently, because that's not how the world works, God. And so I began going through this season, and it was some of the worst time of my life, no doubt about it, until finally I said, okay, God, I, I give up. I will quit. And you know what happened when I quit? God took care of us. No, restoration is not paying a full-time salary for me, but God has been able to take care of us. We are now going on almost one year to this week. This week, one year ago, was when I left and said, okay, God, I'm trusting in you. How scary that was, I can't even begin to tell you. Amy was probably more terrified than I was at the time. And as we come up to the end of this, this year, our year plan that we had, it gets even more scary as we move forward with this. But, but I think that God knew the only way that he was ever going to get me 
to put more trust and faith in him over money, which I studied for and I knew very well, was to force me to not rely on money. And, and money is, is such a hard topic for us. Nobody wants to talk about their personal finances. Especially in the church, you assume that if money's brought up, it's all about tithe more, give more offerings, pay our bills, help us meet these, these debts that we have. And that's not where I'm going today. Jesus's main point with this is that the man needed to rely on God. It's not that the man needed to sell all of his possessions. We shouldn't read this and say that Jesus is telling all of us to be poor. If that were the case, then Jesus would have said that immediately right away. When the man said, what must I do to inherit the kingdom? Jesus's response should have been right there. Sell everything, be poor, follow me, be a nomad, don't have a house to live in and go. If that is what Jesus' message was, and if that's his message to all of us, then he should have said it there. But that's not what he says. Instead, he responds by telling the guy to love his neighbor, to keep the commandments. Jesus says that is the most important thing. And I have to wonder, maybe Jesus was answering this in a very generic way for everyone that was listening. Meaning anybody that was there could apply that to them. This man spoke up, but everybody probably had the question of Jesus, what do we have to do to, to inherit the kingdom? And so Jesus responds and says, love your neighbor as yourself. Our language, be and share the gospel. Love God with everything, love your neighbor as yourself and do all of this. Everybody listening would have heard that message. But, but then this man kept pushing him for more specifics. He goes, no, Jesus, I'm doing all of that. What do I need to do? And so then Jesus finally, knowing who this man is, again, Matthew's gospel doesn't tell us that he's rich yet. So we don't know if Jesus knew he was rich or not. Maybe, probably, but who knows? And then Jesus finally gives him an individual answer for this individual purpose, person, that says, okay, since you are wealthy, sell everything and give to the poor. Get rid of all of it. Money has become an idol for you, young man. So sell it all. Get rid of this idol. Give it all to the poor that need it. And then come follow me. And as you follow me and you're discipled, then you will begin to learn what it means to inherit the kingdom. The point that Jesus is making is to put God first above all things, even money. And again, we often think that money buys happiness or provides us with security. However, we're often not very wise with the money that we even have. If, I'm, I'm going to put this out there. If God was your primary focus, if you put God above everything, Jesus above everything, loving your neighbor as yourself above money, then you would treat your personal finances differently. You would give a lot more money to people that are in need. You would stop to those that are, don't have any clothes or shoes on the side of the road and you would give them possessions. You would give them money. You would donate more to charity. If this was really important for you, that's what you would do. There's, there's a 
a founding father that escapes my mind at the moment, um, probably Jefferson, who says, show me your wallet, your billfold, and I'll show you what matters most to you. What you spend your money on is what matters most to you. Our focus often becomes about ourselves and our money instead of God. So is it okay to make a lot of money? Yes. Is it okay to have no money and be poor? Yes. It doesn't matter how much money you have, how much money comes in. What matters is what you do with it. Budgeting 101. I'm giving you a tip. Budgeting is very easy. It's a simple math equation. Watch. Ready? Three minus three equals zero. Three minus one equals three minus four equals, right? Now apply that to the thousands. If you have $3,000 coming in and if you spend $3,000, you have no money left. If you have $3,000 coming in and you spend 1,000 of it, you have 2,000 left. But if you, like most Americans, and I'm not talking about you all, but the other people outside of here, if you have 3,000 coming in and you spend 4,000, you have negative 1,000 and you now have debt. You have credit card debt. You have whatever else loan that you have. Budgeting is really that simple. If you want money left over, spend less or make more money. It is really that simple. And yes, the more money you have coming in, the more easy it is to pay bills to meet cost of living. I get all of that. If you're only making a thousand a month, it's very difficult to survive. I get all of that, but the principle stays the same. If you want money left over, spend less or make more. John Wesley is quoted saying, do you not know what God entrusted you with that money? all above what buys necessity for your families, to feed the hungry, to clothe the naked, to help the stranger, the widow, the fatherless. And indeed, as far as it will go to relieve the wants of all mankind, how can you, how dare you defraud the Lord by applying it to any other purpose? Those are the words of John Wesley. And he's pulling from scripture here that we believe from, from Chronicles. It says that, that everything belongs to God. All money is God's, all resources are God, and we give back to him. And John Wesley says that God is the one that gives you all of this money. He blesses you with the money, and you need to use that money to cover your basic necessities. But above that, what if God is giving you money to help those that are in need? I mean, think about it. We, we have a starvation problem across the world. There are people that die every day because they don't have food. I'm thinking of third world countries and other places, but there's only so much money in the world. What if we learned how to redistribute some of our assets? What if the entire church learned how to live a simple life just covering what they need and gave everything else to those? I think we could actually end world hunger. And God is giving that to us. Yes, Stan, I'm saying I think we can end world hunger if we did that. So then I wonder, what, what would Jesus tell us to do today? If he were standing here right now and we all were standing here, Jesus, what must we do to inherit the kingdom? I think his answer would be similar. 
Love your neighbor as yourself, which is loving God. And be generous with whatever you have. And I'm going to take this above money. If you have time, you're not working, you're retired, whatever, you have time, be generous with your time. It's the same concept. We all have 24 hours in a day. We all have to sleep and eat and do certain things for ourselves. But then we have extra time that we have able to help somebody in need. If we have money, we have the ability to help somebody that is in need. Jesus is calling us to be generous, which means that we love God and love neighbors above ourself. We don't place our hope and security and happiness in things that we can control on our own, but we replace all of that and give it all to God. The real answer is that, that we are generous with everything. You've probably heard people say, tithe 10% of your income, which comes from the Old Testament. Abraham is the first one to give a tenth to the church, to the priest. And so they follow that model to give 10%. The first 10% of everything that you make is what we tithe back to God as a way to say, God, I trust you with this. I am tithing my 10%. But I think Jesus would call us to give above that. And I don't know this for sure, but what I like to tell myself is that's why some churches call it tithes and offerings, meaning tithes is your 10% and your offerings is what you do above and beyond that 10%. And I'm not trying to tell you to give more to restoration. What I'm telling you to do is to be generous with your money, be willing to trust God with it and help whoever it is that needs to be helped. And, and I also think as a church, I think it is our job to be financially good, to use the term good, as God says, everything is good. For us to be good financial stewards as a church, to be as transparent as possible with what we do with money that comes in, how we spend everything, and all of that is available. If any of you ever want to see it, you just let me know. But I also have set up very, not I, we have set up very specific things to make sure that people aren't stealing money. I personally have absolutely no idea who gives or how much an individual gives. I just get a report at the end of the month that says this is how much total came in. And I don't want to know. If you want to tell me, you can, but I don't want to know because I don't care. That is between you and God and you and God alone. That is not why we exist. We don't exist to try and get money from you or to try and judge or, or pressure you into giving more money. But we also, as a church, want to make sure that we always have money set aside to help whenever somebody's in need. And we have a special savings account, a ministry to other savings account that we always, always, always have money in so that no matter what happens, if somebody needs help, we have the ability. Now, I'm not saying that we help everybody. We have to figure out how to make sure people aren't taking advantage of us, but at the same time, not limiting it to just those that are within our walls. That is not who we are as a church. We don't say you must be a member in order to receive help. And we have not limited that way in the past as we've helped people. But we also have a special emergency savings on top of all of this that we have set aside to make sure that we are able to cover everything. And when it comes to finances, again, being 100% transparent, we have to pay rent for this building. 
although we have not paid it, the district has been paying it for us, and that ends in May. So in May, we will now have to start paying for the rent of this building. How will we do that? I have absolutely no idea, but I know who to trust. I don't put our faith in money. As much as I love money from a financial planning perspective, I don't care about money. That's not why we exist. We exist to be and share the gospel. We don't need a building to do that. We can gather in a park. We can gather in my home. I don't care about any of that. What I care about is that people experience Jesus through us, that we are generous because we want to be the hands and feet of Jesus. We are generous, not just with our money, but with our time, with our talents, with our gifts. I've heard of people within our church, and to keep them humble, I'm not going to say their names, but they have helped fix people's cars that have broken down without charging them anything because they have the gift of mechanics, and they help. Other people have helped others move. We have ways that we can help individuals, and that is what it means to be a church, that we are generous with our time, our money, our resources, our gifts, our talents, everything to help other people, to make the world a better place, to share the love of Jesus one person at a time. We talked a couple of weeks ago about how if we smile to one person and then they turn around and smile to one person, soon our one smile can change the entire world because we chose to be love. What if we actually took that seriously and we chose to follow Jesus above all and to believe that God is the one that's responsible for our resources and we live that way? So my challenge for you this week is to evaluate your love for money. Think about it. Pray about it. Spend some time and allow the Holy Spirit to reveal how much you love money. How much do you care about money? Maybe it means you're going to go through and look at your budget and see what are you spending money on that you probably don't need to. How are you handling your finances? Maybe you ask the question, how much do I give to somebody in need every month? Ask yourself, how much are you trusting God with your finances? And the message that I want you to hear this morning is that God is good. The man asked what good thing I need to do. And Jesus says, there is only one who is good. And that one is God. Everything that we have is a gift that is freely given to us because Jesus died on the cross for us. Jesus made a way for us to be happy, to have a sense of security in our salvation, to inherit the kingdom. Jesus says elsewhere that, that we must store up our treasures. I think that's in this, actually. It's somewhere in Matthew in other gospels where he says, to store up your treasures in heaven, not on earth where vermin and thieves may destroy and steal because money is just paper. If you think about it, money can disintegrate. Rats can come and they can actually eat paper. Money is, is worthless when it comes to the eternal things that actually matter, which is putting our faith in that. And we've already inherited that. All we have to do is accept it and to follow Jesus. Jesus says, be generous with everything that you have and come and follow me. So are we ready to follow Jesus? 
Do we believe that we have been set free, that our chains have been broken by the grace of God and the love of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit to set us free so that we can inherit happiness, security, eternal life? Pray with me. Father, we... place our trust in you this morning. We thank you for the ways that you have provided for us. Father, it's hard, but I I ask that you change our hearts to see the world in a different way to not focus so much on our personal successes, but rather see it as your hands working and blessing us. Father, give us the strength to trust in you. We can do nothing apart from your love. We pray all of this in your name. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. We would love to continue the conversation and connect with you. Comment, like, subscribe, follow us on the socials at rnaschurch or our website, rnaz.church.